Well, Christmas is over. There's that moment of recuperating and dealing with your depression. That's Christmas has come and gone, but uh, we are actually going to, we're going to finish our Christmas teaching series today. So even though we're a week past Christmas now, I still feel like it's totally relevant to what we've been trying to accomplish this month. Our teaching series has been called Here Comes Heaven, and we have been looking at the declarations throughout the Bible that heaven was coming. And heaven coming, the fancy word for it was incarnation which literally means God becoming flesh. That when God became flesh, heaven came to earth to engage with humanity to enact God's plan of salvation. And God was announcing it all throughout history. From the time of the Garden of Eden, when he first announced it to the serpent, all the way up to the angel Gabriel announcing it to the young woman named Mary. He was announcing heaven is coming. But here's the thing. Now that Christmas is past, heaven coming for Christmas was only half the story. And in fact, that's the title of the sermon today is only the half of it. Only the half of it. That there's another part of the story of heaven coming to earth. And that's what I want to focus on today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And this is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. It's interesting that this is actually one of the only churches that Paul never visited in person, but that his letter ended up in the Bible. Colossians chapter 3, and let's start reading from verse 1. It says this, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Well, let's break this down. Let's see what Paul was talking about here. He starts off in verse 1 by saying, Therefore... Remember, anytime you're reading one of the letters of the New Testament and you read the word therefore, you're supposed to stop and ask yourself the question, what is it therefore? Because the word therefore means that he's about to make a conclusion or teach something new based on everything he just said. And so he says, therefore, so we have to look back at chapter 2 and say, what did he say in chapter 2? Well, in chapter 2, he was talking all about These rules and restrictions that were being heaped on the church in the name of holiness, even though they had nothing to do with God's word, they had nothing to do with God or with Jesus, but yet people felt if they could heap these rules on, it would make us all look more holy. And so they had these rules about what you could eat and what you could not eat and what you could touch and what you could not touch. And you'd have to do certain things on certain days and and act a certain way. And there was all these rules. And on the surface, it made you seem holy, right? Like, I don't eat this kind of food, so that makes me holier. I only do this on Wednesday, so that makes me more holy. But all it was was a bunch of man-made rules and restrictions that were being heaped on the church. And Paul was addressing all of those in chapter 2, and that's what gets us to chapter 3 where he says, Therefore, based on the discussion we just had about all of these fake rules that are being heaped on the people, this is what I want to say to you. 
if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. He says, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to do. Instead of following a bunch of man-made rules that don't accomplish anything, instead, what I would like you to do is I want you to keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And I want you to set your mind on the things above. Now, what is he talking about here when he says above? You'll find this a lot in the Bible. Jesus used these metaphors Paul obviously used these metaphors referring to above and below. The above referring to spiritual things or things of God. The below referring to earthly things or things of the devil. Now it's important to point out here that these are not actual directions. All right. You remember growing up as kids and and you thought that heaven was in the clouds and hell was in the middle of the earth. Right. Because heaven is above and hell is below. They're not actual directions. Okay, they're just metaphors for understanding the spiritual things above and the earthly things below. So heaven is not in the clouds and the devil is not in the middle of the earth. I know when you watch the Bugs Bunny cartoons and Wiley e. Coyote falls off the cliff and falls through the ground, he ends up in hell with the devil, but it's not really in the middle of the earth, okay? The, um, but he's referring to things above the spiritual things, and he says, I want you to keep seeking the things that are above, and I want you to set your mind on the things that are above. It almost seems like he's repeating himself, but he's actually saying two different things. When he says, keep seeking the things that are above, other translations actually say, set your heart on the things that are above. So he's saying, set your heart on the things that are above. What is your heart? Those are your passions and your desires, the things that you long for. And then in verse 2, he says, set your mind on the things above. What is your mind? Well, that's going to be our thoughts, the things we think about. That's going to be our morals the standards by which we live our lives, and that's going to be truth, the, the, the truth that, that we receive in our mind. And so we've got set your heart on the things above, and I want you to set your mind on the things above. I want your hearts, the things you're passionate about, the things that you long for, I want those things to be set on the things above. Your mind, your thoughts, your morals, truth, I also want that set on the things above. And in case you were confused about where the things above are, he says where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So he is talking about heavenly things. He is talking about the throne room of God, where God the Father sits upon the throne, where Jesus stands at the right hand of the throne, interceding for us. He says, that's where I want your heart, and that's where I want your mind. So why is this important? Why was it so important to Paul to encourage us to stay focused on the heavenly things? Well, I want to answer that question from a, a couple of different perspectives. First, I want to look at it from the, the negative perspective. What are the negative things that we struggle with so that we would need to set our heart and our mind on the things of heaven? Well, the first one is false teachers. Paul was specifically addressing the false teachers in Colossians chapter 2 that were bringing all of these restrictions and rules to the church. 
We need to be ready to deal with the fact that there are going to be false teachers that are continually going to come into our lives, that are going to continually try to have influence in the Christian church. And if our mind is not set on the things of heaven, and if our mind is not focused on the things that are the truth of God's word, then we're going to believe whatever the false teachers say. There is a a pastor, and I'm not going to say his name because I'm not into throwing people under the bus publicly. But there is a pastor on the mainland who has a huge church. Tens of thousands of people go to his church on the mainland. And he just released a book. And the whole premise of his book is that the Old Testament is obsolete. It doesn't apply to us anymore. God's moral law doesn't apply to us anymore. We shouldn't have to read the Old Testament or teach from it. In fact, if we do read from it and teach from it, we're actually creating mixture and just confusing people away from the New Testament. And this is all heresy, in case you weren't sure. This is all heresy. Right? The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is profitable. You know what all the writers of the New Testament quoted from? The Old Testament. And that was after Jesus resurrected and ascended to heaven. And supposedly if the Old Testament was obsolete, it would have been obsolete already. And yet that's what all of the New Testament writers worked from was the Old Testament. But the scary thing is, this again, this is a mega church pastor who just released this book. And if you go to Amazon and read the reviews of the book, and these are all followers of Jesus that are reading the book, they're all saying, oh, this book is amazing. It's opened up my eyes. I see the scriptures in a whole new way that I've never seen them before. This book is so well written. And it's all heresy. It's false teaching. And over 80% of the reviews on Amazon, talked about how wonderful of a teaching it was. If our minds are not set on the things of heaven, we're going to be susceptible to false teaching that makes us feel good and sounds really nice and comes from somebody who we think is a, is a, a star in the Christian world. But it's not true. The other negative that we need to deal with is that we are easily distracted. We could be moving along, we're doing God's work, we're all about the kingdom and everything God wants us to do, and then it's just like, squirrel, all right, and, and we're off track. We are so easily distracted, we are so easily drawn away. Can we talk about the greatest source of our distraction? Comes from these little guys here, our smartphones and our tablets and our smartwatches, which have so many conveniences and wonderful things. But if you're anything like me, this is what happens to me. I'll be in my office working, and I'll think to myself, oh, I need to text so-and-so because we're working on this event that we're getting ready for. So I get my phone out, and immediately when I get my phone out, there's a notification, and it's an interesting news story. And I'm like, ooh, I want to read that. So I click on it, and then I read the news story. And then by the time I'm done reading the news story, I'm like, I should check Twitter and see what's going on on Twitter. Oh, and I wonder what's happening in the basketball game. Let me go check the basketball game. And then several minutes later, I'll look up and I'll be, I'll be like, why am I even on my phone? <laughs> and I forgot to text the person that I got on my phone to text in the first place. We are easily distracted. So easily distracted. So easily drawn away from the things of God. 
Sometimes it's by sin, but sometimes it's by things that aren't sin. It's things that God meant for us to enjoy. But when the things that God meant for us to enjoy become a distraction from doing the things that God meant for us to do, then even those things can become a problem. We are easily distracted. But let's, let's look at it from the other perspective. What about from the positive perspective? Why is it so important to stay focused on the things of heaven? Well, this is what Paul writes. First, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. So the first thing is that we have been resurrected with Christ. And what that means is we are a new creation. We have died to the old things. God has raised us up. We are new people. We're no longer who we used to be. And a part of that conversion and that transformation is that we should no longer want to be associated with the things of this world. That there should be some desire in our heart, even if we're not successful at first at accomplishing it, there should be some desire in our hearts to be separated from the things of this world. Because we have been resurrected in Christ. We are new people. And then he goes on in verse 3 to say this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the second reason why it's important is because Christ is the source of our life. The only source of our life. We died to him so that we could find life in him. And these little gadgets that are so wonderfully entertaining and so full of information and they're great, but you know what? There's no life in them. Unless you're using the Bible app and you're reading the Bible, then maybe you're getting a little bit of life out of it. But there's no life in it. Our recreation, the things we do for fun, whether we surf or we watch football or we sew patchwork quilts or whatever it is that we do. I'm not saying those things are bad. We should do those things. They keep us healthy, and it's a part of enjoying the life God meant for us to enjoy. But if we're doing those things and we're trying to find life in those things, there's no life in those things. In fact, if we get too consumed with trying to find life in those things, then what we really become consumed with is our own comfort and our own happiness, and we're no longer focused on doing the work of the kingdom of God. And then in verse 4, Paul says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The third thing is this, the revealing of the future glory. That there is going to be a revelation where Jesus is going to be revealed and everybody is going to fully understand who he is and what he has come to do. And this is what brings us to our declaration of here comes heaven and why Christmas is only half of the story. And that is because heaven is coming again. There is going to be a second coming of heaven. And to talk about this second coming of heaven, I want to ask the question, Why did the Jews miss the Messiah when Jesus so clearly fulfilled so many messianic prophecies? Last Sunday, if you were here, we looked at 11 different messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And then we looked at the mathematics behind it, that just to fulfill eight of them on accident would have taken a miracle of one in a hundred quadrillion which means mathematically we can be certain that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet the Jews did not receive him. The Jews did not realize he was the Messiah. How did they miss him? 
And there's probably several answers, but I only want to dive into two of them today. The first one is this. They didn't understand the two Advents. And Advent is just a fancy word that means coming. So Christmas was the first Advent. It was the first coming of the Messiah. But there was going to be a second coming of the Messiah, and the Jews did not understand this because if you read the Old Testament prophecies, there are hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. But it is never clear, I shouldn't say never, but it is not clearly, it is not made obvious when you read all of these prophecies that it's referring to two different comings. And so most of the Jews were just looking for one coming. And they were just looking for one type of coming. And the second reason is because of the timing of the Roman oppression when Jesus came. When Jesus came, the Jews had been under oppression now for a good 300 years. Started with Alexander the Great when his empire came, and then you had the Seleucid Empire and the Hasmonean Dynasty, and then ultimately in the first century B.C. you had the Roman Empire come in. And so the Jews had been under oppression from a multitude of empires, and they wanted so badly to be delivered, to simply be free, to live out their faith, and to worship God, and to walk with God. And so they wanted a deliverer they wanted a physical deliverer but if you compare the prophecies of the first coming to the prophecies of the second coming you can see why the Jews were only looking for one type of coming some of the prophecies spoke of the suffering Messiah one of those being Isaiah chapter 53 and verses 1 through 12 we're not going to read it here together but I wanted you to know where I'm getting this from so that you can study it yourself just in this one chapter of Isaiah, we get the description of the suffering Messiah. Number one, that he was not attractive. There was nothing about him that we would find attractive. Apparently, he had a face only a mother could love, right? Said he wouldn't be attractive. Nothing about him would draw us to him. He would be despised and forsaken. It said that he would be acquainted with grief and sorrow. He would bear our sorrows and he would bear our grief. It used words like pierced and crushed and chastised and scourged. It said that he would be oppressed and afflicted. It said he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. And even in front of those who were afflicting him, he would not open his mouth. And it said that he would be poured out as a guilt offering, poured out even to the point of death so that he could bear our sins. This is the suffering Messiah. He wasn't attractive. He wasn't respected. He wasn't received. But instead, he was tortured and afflicted and ultimately put to death. Now, let's compare that with prophecies of the second coming of the Messiah. You can see all the scripture references up there. There's lots of them. But I just picked out a few here. Isaiah 9 and 11, Joel chapters 2 and 3, and Zechariah chapter 14. From these prophecies, we see a Messiah who would sit on the throne of David forever. That the Messiah would come, reestablish the throne of David, and then he would sit on it forever. That his kingdom would be eternal and that it would never end. And not only that, but his rule and his reign would stretch to the ends of the earth. That there wouldn't be any nations under the earth that wouldn't come under the rule and the reign of his kingdom. 
He would not just be relegated to Israel, but he would rule over the entire earth. Also, that he would deliver Israel from all of her oppression and that all of her oppressors would be punished and that Israel would be delivered. It also says that he would gather Israel back from the ends of the earth. So even as the Israelites had been scattered around the earth into Assyria and into Babylon and into Egypt and into nations all around the earth, that when the Messiah came, he would gather Israel back together and shepherd Israel back together as one community. It also says that when the Messiah comes, there would be peace. Isaiah talks about it that When the Messiah comes, the lion and the lamb would lie down together, and the lion would have no desire to eat the lamb, but they would be at peace together, and the lion would eat straw, and babies could play on top of holes that were for vipers, and they wouldn't have to worry because vipers wouldn't come out to bite them because there would be peace and there would be no fear, and also when the Messiah comes that there would be judgments referred to as the day of the Lord. For those that were followers of the Messiah, the day of the Lord would be a great day. It would be a day of receiving the blessings of God and walking into eternity with God. But for those that did not follow the Messiah, the day of the Lord was a terrible day, a day of receiving all that they had sown, a day of facing judgment and consequences. So could you imagine if you were an Israelite right at zero A.D., and you were looking for the Messiah, which Messiah would you be looking for? Would you be looking for the, the ugly, despised, forsaken one that nobody would like? The lowly, humble, suffering one? No, you were looking for this one, the one that would deliver Israel and establish the throne of David and sit upon it forever and judge the nations from that throne and bring peace and harmony and gather everyone together to live in community together. This is the Messiah they were looking for. So when God was born in a manger, announced to lowly shepherds, growing up in obscurity, not even having a rabbi, but rather growing up as a carpenter, as a tradesman, and then suddenly coming out and saying, I am God in the flesh and I am here to deliver you. And the Jews looked at him and said, you're not who we've been looking for. They missed it because they were only looking for one type of Messiah, not realizing that there would be a second coming, a second type. That's why Paul writes, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. There is a part of the source of our life that is hidden from others. They don't get it. As we walk with Jesus and we find our life and our joy in Jesus and we celebrate it, others look at us and they say, we don't see it. We don't get it. And so Christianity is mocked or they try to marginalize it and they try to push us off to the side and make fun of what we believe and how we live. Why? Because the glory is hidden. But a day will come when the glory won't be hidden anymore. The Messiah came the first time lowly and humble. When he comes the second time, he's going to leave no doubts. There is going to be no question. Heaven is coming to earth a second time. John shares the vision of it for us in Revelation when he has the vision. And in Revelation 21, 
John writes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Can you imagine this? He sees New Jerusalem coming down. What is he seeing? He is seeing heaven coming to earth. I see the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Heaven is going to come to earth. He saw the new Jerusalem coming down to the new earth. And in case you guys were wondering, this eternity that we're spending in God, it's not like we're going to get wings and halos and float around in the clouds with harps. We are going to live in a physical reality just like we live in right now. But it's going to be an earth that is untainted by sin. It is going to be earth as God meant it. Heaven is going to come to earth and God is going to dwell among us and we are going to be his people and there's going to be no tears because there's going to be no pain. There's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no death. There's going to be no war. There's going to be no fighting. There is only going to be the people of God living in joy and harmony together. And when the prophecies say that the Messiah is going to gather Israel from the ends of the earth, Well, the Jews considered Israel to be everybody that was born in the lineage of Abraham. But in Galatians, Paul says the sons of Abraham are all those who follow Jesus. So in the prophecy, we are Israel and the followers of Jesus will be gathered from the ends of the earth and gathered together to live in community together for eternity because heaven is coming a second time. Whoo, come on, somebody get excited up in here. Heaven is coming a second time. Christmas is only half the celebration. It's only half the celebration. The rest we have to look forward to. The rest we have to prepare for. So what is Paul asking us to do? He's asking us to set our hearts on the things above, and he's asking us to set our mind on the things above, but what is he actually asking of us? When I hear the word set on, when I hear the word set, the first thing I think of is setting a clock, right? Now, with all of these wonderful devices, we don't really have to set these anymore. They're always perfectly on time. So when I got to thinking, why are they always perfectly on time? Because they're always connected to the satellite. And as long as they're always connected to the satellite, they're always in perfect time. But when you get on an airplane and put your phone in airplane mode and disconnect it from the satellite and then you fly across several time zones, now your time isn't right anymore. You got to take it off of airplane mode so it reconnects with the satellite. And then amazingly, the moment it reconnects with the satellites, the time changes and you get the exact right time again. So that got me thinking when we're in alignment with heaven, we are set right where God wants us to be. But when we disconnect from heaven, when we're not in alignment with Jesus, when our mind is not set on the things above, when we are out of alignment, then we are not in perfect time with where God wants us to be and what God is trying to accomplish in our lives. 
And then there's our old digital clocks that we actually have to set ourselves. Here's the thing. You have to set it, right? You have to be purposeful about doing it. And, you know, power goes out. Oh, I got to reset the microwave clock. I got to get in there, and I got to get it set just to the right time. Or if you ever notice, especially it seems like the, the clocks in your cars, like you set them, and then they always get slowly off of time. And so you set the clock in your car, and then a couple months later, you realize it's like four or five minutes off. And then you have a choice. You could either reset it, or you can recalibrate your brain to constantly think about the fact that it's four or five minutes off. And then your spouse resets it without telling you, and suddenly you're five minutes late to everything because you thought the clock was different. We have got to set it on purpose. We have got to reset the clock. We get ourselves in alignment, but we are so prone to distraction. We're in alignment, but then we get distracted and our clock is off a little bit. We have to purposely reset the clock. We have to purposely set our mind back on the things of heaven. We have to purposely set our hearts back on the things of heaven. Let me invite the worship team to come back up today. So what is it to set our minds and our hearts on the things of heaven? Well, to set our hearts on the things of heaven means that we're passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. It means that we long for the things that Jesus longs for. And the only way that we can get our hearts to that place is if we would set our hearts on the things of heaven. If we would spend time focusing on the things of heaven rather than the things of earth. The things of earth are fun and they're nice recreation, but there's no life in them. We set our hearts on the things of heaven. And then to set our minds on the things of heaven means that we think about the things that Jesus thinks about. We see the world the way Jesus sees the world. That we focus on the truth of Jesus because we dive into his word, which was revealed to us as the truth of God. Set our minds on the things of heaven. We set our hearts on the things of heaven. And then when we begin to get off track, we reset. Oh, my clock's a few minutes off. I need to reset. I've gotten a little off track. I've gotten a little too consumed with the things of the world. I've gotten a little too into football season this year. I need to back off a little bit. I've gotten a little too consumed with my own comfort and doing the things that make me comfortable. I've got to back off a little bit. I need to realign myself with heaven. Because I know that heaven is passionate about people. And so if I'm not passionate about people, I need to realign. If I'm not willing to sacrifice all for the cause of the kingdom, then I need to realign. If I've gotten a little too caught up in this, I need to realign. If sin has stolen my heart away, then I need to break up with whatever that sin is that I've fallen in love with. And I need to reset and realign myself with heaven. Heaven is coming to earth again, and the glory is going to be revealed, and we are going to be revealed with it. In the meantime, we need to constantly align ourselves. We can't just say, I aligned myself once. Yeah, you did. But you've probably gotten distracted. Your clock has probably gotten off time. We need to continually set ourselves. 
We need to continually realign ourselves, continually make sure that our hearts and minds are passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. As we move into 2019, let this be a time of resetting. Let this be a time of recalibrating. Let this be a time of making sure that our clock is right so that we can walk out this life as the people of heaven. Amen? Stand with me today. Let's worship together.